Listeners, it's 2020, and as far as I can tell, that means that pretty much everything is not what we expected it to be. I like to think of 2020 quoting the great Lorelai Gilmore from episode 137 of Gilmore Girls. I gotta keep you on your toes. When you think I'll zig, I'll zag. Then, when you think I'm gonna zag, I do zag, just to mess you up for the next time when I might zig. It is a scarily accurate reference, and I'm not loving it. I'm really not loving it. There are, however, a few things you can count on. Ice cream will always be delicious. Old episodes of The Real Housewives will always make me happy. New episodes of SSR will always be coming to you on Tuesday mornings. And new episodes of SSR in November will always focus on contemporary YA. That's right, friends. It is still New Reads November. For one month only, we are turning the spotlight away from our usual throwback reads and directly on to YA books published within the last year. There has been such incredible work in the YA community in 2020 that it felt almost impossible to choose just four titles. On episode 120, we turn our attention to Elizabeth Acevedo's Clap When You Land, which was published in May of this year. This novel and verse was the book that you, the collective SSR community, most wanted me to cover in New Reads November. You will hear a lot more about my experience reading Clap When You Land, but I will say this up front. I am so glad that so many of you were recommending it to me. This is a really special book. In Clap When You Land, we meet two half-sisters, who at the outset don't even know they have a half-sister, named Yaya and Camino. Yaya lives in New York City, and Camino lives in the Dominican Republic. Their father is a big presence in both of their lives, even though Camino only gets to spend time with him on his summer visits to the DR, and Yaya misses him when he's gone on those extended so-called business trips every year. Everything changes, though, when their dad's plane goes down while he's on his way to visit Camino. They are both grieving the loss, of course, but there are other major issues at play. Camino and her aunt counted on his financial support. She's now worried she won't be able to pursue her dreams of going to college in the U.S. and becoming a doctor. And Yaya is forced to contend with the fact that she hadn't spoken to her father for months before his death, after finding a marriage certificate in his office indicating that he had another life in the DR. We experience the story from both perspectives, in narrative verse bouncing back and forth between the two sisters. About halfway through the book, Yaya and Camino learn of each other's existence. And as you can imagine, that totally changes the game. On today's episode, my guests and I discuss Clap On You Land's unique format, as well as our own experience with reading, or in my case, not reading, poetry. We chat a lot about what I learned about author Elizabeth Acevedo's writing process, as well as her inspiration for the book. Oh, and also my mission to become her friend. We dive into what Clap When You Land has to say about identity, feminism, the immigrant experience, sexuality, and the patriarchy. And we celebrate what it means for representation in YA lit. My guest today is Kara Lee Corthran. Kara is an author, playwright, and TV writer based in Los Angeles. She is the author of The Truth of Right Now, which won the Parents' Choice Gold Award. Her plays, including What Are You Worth, Welcome to Fear City, Alice Grace Anon, and Holly Down in Heaven have been performed across the U.S. Kara also writes for the TV thrillers You on Netflix and The Flight Attendant on HBO Max, as well as the horror drama series Servant on Apple TV from M. Night Shyamalan. She's a multi-year McDowell Fellow and a resident playwright at New Dramatists. Kara's new YA novel, Daughters of Jubilation, is now available. Follow Kara on Twitter at CaraLeeCorthran and on Instagram at Kara.Corthran. And check out her website, www.CaraLeeCorthran.com, to learn more about her work. If you want to learn more about what's happening with SSR, social media is going to be your best bet. 
We are at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find the show on Facebook by searching The SSR Podcast. If you're looking for something a little more conversational in the way of Facebook groups, search for the SSR Podcast community. I would love to have you join me across the social media board. I have a lot of fun sharing about the podcast as well as my reading and personal life. But my golden retriever, Irv, is the real star. Speaking of stars, I would like to give a shout out to everyone who has shared about the show on their Instagram story or left a five-star rating or review of the show on iTunes. Trust me when I tell you that those little things make a big difference. Thank you. Thank you. I would also like to thank all of the Patreon sponsors listening to this episode. If you would like to take a more active role in supporting SSR, which as a reminder is an independent podcast, I would encourage you to learn more about Patreon. It's a platform that allows you to support your favorite independent creators with a few dollars every month in exchange for exclusive perks. You can become an SSR patron for as little as a dollar per month. I'm actually switching up all the sponsorship tiers on Patreon this week, which means you'll be able to cash in on things like monthly newsletters and bonus episodes and SSR merch for less. Keep an eye on the SSR Instagram for updates this week and visit www.patreon.com slash SSRpodcast or go to www.ssrpodcast.com and click support at the top of the page for next steps. Here is one more next step I would encourage you to take when you're finished listening to this awesome episode, checking out Libro FM. If you are a fan of audiobooks, this is the place to buy them, since Libro FM allows you to support independent bookstores instead of giant companies. The audiobooks you get from Libro FM are exactly the same as the ones you would purchase from big corporations, and they're the same price too. Plus, SSR listeners can cash in on a discount on their first audiobook purchase from Libro FM. Go to Libro FM, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and use code SSRPOD when prompted on the site to get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. We all know that 2020 has been especially hard on small businesses, so shopping for audiobooks on Libro FM this fall and holiday season is a fantastic way to show your love and support. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old-school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hafkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Carol. Welcome to SSR. Hi, thanks for having me. Listeners, it is week two of New Reads November 2020. So we are in book two of four amazing YA titles of this year. I could not be more excited, Kara, to be talking to you about Elizabeth Acevedo's Clap When You Land. It was published in May of this year. And I I believe that this was the most commonly requested book for New Reads November. Wow this year. So like no pressure, but people are really excited about this episode. No, it's it's a great book. I get it. (laughs) So tell me a little bit about your familiarity with the author, with this book. Why were you excited to pick this one for your episode? I am sad to say I'm not as familiar with her, but I picked it because I wanted to become familiar with this writer. I've been wanting to read Poet X. I just haven't 
I haven't had time yet, but um, no, I'm really interested in her voice and her style. And then when I saw the summary, I thought, oh no, I really, I really need to read that book. So that was really what drew me. I feel the same. So I am ashamed to say that I have not read any of her other books. And listeners will know that this is part of why I started New Reads November, because with the general premise of my show, I'm typically only reading middle grade and YA books from years ago. And so then I feel like I'm out of the loop on all of the new stuff. So then every year I have to pick like the four best YA books, which I mean, there's so many, but I have to pick four, which is very hard to do. And everybody told me you have to read Elizabeth Acevedo. And now I'm like, okay, now I have to read her three other books because this book blew my freaking mind. And I am ashamed to say that I, in my years in the YA lit world, I have not gotten to her before. And I actually discovered in my research about her that she and I went to the same college and we were there at the same time for two years. So I now need to find our inevitable connection so that she can be my friend. That's really funny. I love it when that happens. <laughs> well, because then of course I'm like, oh, maybe maybe I didn't recognize her name. I definitely knew her. Like then I had this whole thing in my head of like, I definitely knew her name separate from just like Bookstagram and oh, the, right. the book world. I had Then I was like, oh, I probably had mutual friends. But then I'm like, no, I probably recognize her name because I live in this world of books. And then I found out that she did Teach for America and my best friend from college did Teach for America. So I'm trying wow. to find all of these very tenuous connections. Long story short, I have now decided that Elizabeth Acevedo and I probably like ate lunch near each other at least once oh, or twice. <laughs> I mean, she's like definitely way cooler than I could ever be, but a girl can dream. (laughs) I think it's really in the cards. You know, you have a lot in common. I mean, yeah, it's meant to be. So (laughs) now that I've fangirled over Elizabeth Acevedo, I want to talk a little bit before we really get into the story about the format of this book. So Elizabeth Acevedo was a poet primarily. She really got her start in slam poetry. And I, I learned a bit more about that from researching for this episode. I'll admit, I'm generally not a big poetry girl. And so when I opened the book, I was like, okay, this is going to be new for me. Like, I don't think I've ever read a novel in verse. How about you? Do you read a lot of poetry? Have you read other novels in verse? Um, I have read other novels in verse, but I'm also not a poetry girl. My husband was an English major and he knows all these classic poets and he writes poems and sometimes I'm like, that sounds really good. But then I don't exactly get it because I don't always get how poems work. But I really like narrative poetry the way that Elizabeth's book works. And there's another wonderful book that came out several years ago, Brown Girl Dreaming by um, Jacqueline Woodson, which is also in verse that I recommend. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not something I read often, but for books, I actually kind of enjoy it when I'm looking at fiction. And I, I in this case, that definitely was the case. <laughs> it was a beautiful way to move yeah. through a story in a way that I did not expect. And I'm getting my MFA right now and I'm in fiction. And there's a few poetry students that we occasionally like come across in Zoom because of course everything is on Zoom. And I think the poetry students are really fascinating and brilliant. And like Elizabeth Acevedo, I would like to be their friends. (laughs) This is really just a conversation now about all the people I want to be friends with. Everybody, welcome to this. (laughs) Didn't see it going this way. Um, But anyway, so no, I'm curious. I'd love to talk to them maybe and get some recommendations from them about other novels and verse because I don't necessarily always connect to poems, like sort of distinct poems. But I liked (laughs) that this was all told in a narrative. Same, same, totally. 
So this book was inspired by a real life plane crash that Elizabeth Acevedo writes quite a bit about um, in the author's note of the book. And then I also found several interviews online where she talked about it and it took place, I believe, two months after 9-11. And so it sort of was eclipsed from a media perspective and a lot of people didn't know very much about it. But a lot of people in her neighborhood growing up in New York City were really affected by it because the plane was going to the Dominican Republic and her neighborhood was a heavily Dominican neighborhood. And she talks about how almost everybody she knew knew someone who was on that plane, which is really heartbreaking and affecting to think about in itself. And so she always wanted to write some sort of kind of tribute to, to these people. And I found so many beautiful statements that she made kind of about what sorts of thoughts related to this crash inspired her. And I wanted to share a few of those just because I think it sort of gets us in the right headspace for this. And I'm curious if you've come across any of these quotes of hers, but she says in an interview on NPR, I was 13 years old when that plane crashed. It rocked my community. I mean, everyone knew someone who was on that flight. But I'll say that like this story was based on research that I did on flight American Airlines 587, all of these secrets, the indignity of tragedy, of the death of folks and the ways their secrets come out. And so I started reading about people who had a lot of complications around getting grievance money from the airlines because the person who was deceased had a lot of secrets. Mm -hmm. What an interesting little gem of inspiration. So you're a writer. Can, Can you share it all about kind of like what inspires you in your writing and maybe how you take this in this process of Elizabeth's? I'm we're on a first name basis now. This process of Elizabeth's and maybe how it compares with your process. I love that quote. I actually I read that as well. And I love this idea that it all goes down. Like you keep kind of peeling back the layers and then you get to, oh, these are just people like everyone else with their secrets. And that's going to like affect the larger community, which is which is such a strange thing. And I feel like I relate a lot to, to stories in that same way. I am interested in kind of little gems either from the news or from pieces of art. Like my book, Daughters of Jubilation, the very, very first seed of an idea for that came from a photograph that I saw that was taken in 1956. And it was sort of a story that I created, a very fictional story based on the image that absolutely was not happening in the photo. (laughs) But my head just went to this other place. So I totally relate. Like there are such small things. I mean, that one word, secrets, there are like worlds of stories in that. And I absolutely get how she was inspired and I imagine there are many stories she could have written, but I I love that she wrote this one. From what I've read, she started by focusing on one of the two girls that we ultimately find to be the two protagonists. So maybe you came across that as well. I did, yeah. But the story is told in two perspectives from Camino's perspective. And Camino is a 17-year-old living in the Dominican Republic. And then there is her half-sister. She doesn't know that she has a half-sister at the beginning of the book, but she does. Yahara, who is roughly the same age. They're within a few months of each other. Um, and she lives in New York City. And initially, in Elizabeth Acevedo's conception of this, the story was just told from Yahara's perspective, or Yaya, as she is called right. by her friends and family. And what I found that she shared sort of about the writing process was, first of all, this was actually, I believe, the first book that she started, and then she moved away from it in favor of some of the other projects that ended up coming out first, oh. and she circled back, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, I didn't realize that. So she said, on and off, I wrote the entire thing in Yahara's voice and then realized it was missing something and I had to go back in and rewrite all of Camino's sections and then figure out how to intersperse them in a way that felt clear and cohesive. 
And that was a very on and off process. And a novel in verse takes a lot of time to figure out the story because so much of it you're writing in a character's head, but there's not necessarily action. So I can get really lost with 200 pages of poetry, but I don't know if it's going anywhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> Interesting to think about. Again, as somebody who not not a big poetry guy, I can see how her creative process with these kinds of books could be challenging. Yeah, I mean, what's funny though is that I think that there's the potential for that to happen to all of us. Yeah. Um, like, I think that you can, if you're really kind of lost or get into a place, it's interesting where she had kind of the book, but then actually ended up adding a whole other section, which wasn't just like a piece. It's like a major part of the book, like half of the book. Right. And I can see where it would be easy to just sort of keep spinning your wheels for a while. And I think that can happen in prose as well. But I really get it from her perspective, because what's so beautiful about her language is that she's able to say so much with so little. Mm -hmm. So there is this interesting thing where I'm sure she would have to write and no matter what, cut back, cut back, cut back, but I can get, I, yeah, so that can get complicated. It must be extra hard to cut when, when you're looking at poetry because it's not yeah. just plot and details. It's like part of this beautiful literary like tapestry almost that I'm sure she feels that she's written in her head in this very deliberate manner. And it would be very difficult to cut that even yeah. if an editor maybe would say like, this is unnecessary. Right. And I can, and I could totally be wrong. Maybe that's not her process. That's, that's me like projecting how I would do it. Onto her. So I don't know how she did it, but yeah, you know, because there's also a rhythm that you're trying to follow. So you don't want to disrupt that too much. And you also have to like pay attention to the story and the plot. And yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot of elements there that would make it complicated. So what was your first impression as we started getting to know these girls? First, we meet Camino. Yaya comes in later. And I just love your general thoughts on, on what it felt like to you early on to be getting to know these characters. Yeah, well, repeat something I already said because it bears repeating. I was just struck by the spareness and how you could get so much from so little. I, the first line, I believe she said, is, I am from mud or I come from mud that um, Camino says. And I, at first I thought, what does that mean? And then as soon as I wasn't reading long into her perspective, and I thought, wow, that means a lot. It doesn't just mean the floods, the mud around her. It means how she believes she's perceived, how she's seen the future that nobody is seeing for her <laughs> other than herself. And and I, I think I was just really floored by how many worlds were being given with so few words. And it was beautiful. Yeah, I agree. It was very striking. And I'll say, listeners, I will include a link in the show notes to a video I found of Elizabeth Acevedo reading the first page or two. Oh, lovely. Yeah, so so those lines that you were referencing about mud. And I do think that what I found challenging reading a book in verse for the first time was I was trying really hard to think about how it was supposed to sound. Hmm. And I had a few people message me on Instagram and recommend the audio version of this book. And I was like, oh, that would have been fantastic. And audio I find doesn't generally work for the podcast for me just because I'm, I really need to be able to see the words and take notes and highlight things. But I would imagine that the audio of this book is beautiful. And even just listening to the author read a few verses really helped me understand how I was supposed to be taking the whole book in. That's so interesting. Um, it would be interesting to hear a little bit of that. I feel like on from my perspective, I like that I was able to kind of conjure those voices for myself based on what she gave me, but I would be really interested to hear how she heard it. it might be very different than how I heard it. Yeah. And also, I guess when you really think about it, 
the audiobook isn't narrated by the author. So no matter how you slice it, really, it's a step or two removed from the way the author imagined it or sort of heard it in her head as she was writing. So maybe maybe the beauty of it is that we're all kind of figuring out how it sounds to us. Yeah, we're all interpreting, all interpreting as best we can. But, uh, but that would be interesting to hear that as well. Yes. So there's a heartbreaking moment very early on in the book with Camino where she skips a math test because she's going to go pick her dad up at the airport. And she is a super high achiever in school. She's trying to get out of her small town. She has these big dreams of going to become a doctor because she's been working as an apprentice to her aunt, who is the local healer. And she wants to use the resources that her dad, who typically isn't around and, and sends money to her, can offer to go to college in New York City at Columbia and hopefully become a doctor. So for her to skip a math test is a big deal mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in a way that I very much could relate to. And then she goes to the airport and she's she's watching the screens for his flight information. And all of a sudden, there's no information about his flight, which is meant to arrive shortly. And she can see all these other people around her at the airport are waiting for the same flight. And an employee of the airline comes out and and breaks the very difficult news that the plane went down. And so all of these people in the Dominican Republic who are expecting family members coming home to them after being in New York, which again, very similar circumstances to the real life American Airlines flight that Elizabeth yeah. Acevedo references in her author's note, they all are now unsure of what has happened to their loved ones, although there's an easy conclusion to be made, which is heartbreaking just to think about this young girl being alone at an airport. She's so excited to see her dad, who only comes in the summers, and she's now there by herself in in the midst of this chaos surrounded by loss. And I'm I'm actually getting chills as I'm sharing this. It's such such an affecting emotional image, Mm -hmm. and for it to be that striking And as you said, the spare language, it really, it blew my mind is really the only way that I can put it. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's a really, really tough moment, really stressful, intense, because we feel all of these things she's feeling leading up to it. And though we kind of know what's coming, those of us Mm -hmm. sort of know what the book is about, actually experience that with her in that way is it's pretty tough. It's pretty tough to go through. Beautiful, but tough. And then, you know, you think, I don't know what I would do at my age. And she's 17 and she's by herself and she doesn't have anybody to like hold her hand or say things are going to be okay. And she's such an independent spirit anyway, that I don't know that she would know that she needed that necessarily. But yeah, no, it was very, um, very affecting, very painful and very vivid, as you say, like as soon as you were describing it, I could see it again very clear in my head as I pictured it when reading it. Are you generally an emotional reader? How do you mean? <laughs> okay, so do you do you I think I think crying while you read is maybe like the most extreme version of what I'm talking about. I do know people who tend to cry a lot when they read, especially recently. But do you Okay, so I'm generally not a very emotional reader. So I can read through a lot of heavy content and I feel something, it's almost like the way people describe meditation and mindfulness, Mm -hmm. where I can sort of watch these very heavy things happen and I can like nod at them and then keep reading because I just love reading so much. And then I get in the flow and I'm like, I have this dedicated reading time and I'm enjoying it. I am not usually somebody who finds myself having to stop 
okay. and, and be with these sorts of emotional moments and feel feelings around them. I'm also not somebody who cries during movies. I just don't, I don't get emotional like taking in media usually. Right. I felt much more emotional reading this book than I have reading a book in a very long time. Wow. Yeah, that that actually clarifies from what you're saying because I'm typically not either. I'm not really somebody that cries. I mean, really, I have to really kind of be pushed and I can't remember the last time that's happened. Like I'm not really a crier when I'm reading a book or really watching a film, but I do sometimes have emotional reactions when reading. Like I'll get to a place and I have been that person of like, I need to stop. I need to walk away and go outside and take a breath because this yeah. is too much for me. I do have that sometimes. And sometimes I can be scared. Like if something really out of the blue shocks me, I am not, an, I can be somebody reading in a room that goes, because <gasps> like, I can kind of get that far into it. But yeah, so, so I guess it depends, even though I feel like mostly that I'm not. But, but yeah, there were a couple of moments reading this, maybe two, where I was like, I need a little break. I need to take a step away and go look at the sun and <laughs> take some water and come back. Yeah, BRB. Yeah, BRB, indeed. <laughs> BRB Camino. Yeah, I mean, I, I sometimes feel a little bit left out. I get a little bit of FOMO sometimes because <laughs> I feel like people have these extremely emotional experiences reading certain books or even watching movies or TV shows. And I just am not wired that way. I don't, I don't experience that, but I did not miss out on that in this book. Like I really felt it. And I think part of it is I read, I got so into it that I read really the second half in one sort of sitting, like over the course of a few hours. Mm -hmm. And a lot happened in this book, especially in the second half. But I was feeling things from from very early on, especially that scene that I just described in the airport. So I was just curious if it affected you in a different way than maybe other books do. Um, Yeah, well, in the sense that kind of what you were saying, like I think about halfway through, I wouldn't say it was one sitting, but it was very close. Like I was very much like, I have to know now. I have to know what's, where are we going? What's going to happen? And it starts to kind of fly in a different kind of way. So I think that because it's so spare, there's something kind of deceptive about it. Like, like at first I feel like, oh, this is beautiful language, beautiful imagery. I love these characters. Like there's, there is something that almost feels like I can have a distance. And then the more I got into it, I realized, oh no, it's actually very close to me. And it's, very upsetting and intense in a good way. And I just, I don't have that experience that often with books. I wish I did more, even though sometimes it's hard when I do. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, with this one, I would say kind of what you were saying, the second half, I was kind of like, I couldn't really tear myself away. It was very hard. Um, and I felt like I was kind of there with both girls. Well, sounds like maybe you and I need to keep each other in the loop about books that we find that make us feel things because so. <laughs> maybe we could sort of help each other out there. <laughs> but we do meet Camino's half-sister, Yahara, Yaya. Mm-hmm. And there's some really interesting special things about Yaya. Not to say Camino isn't special, but I found that there were there were a couple things about Yaya that really set her apart, especially early on in the book. The first thing is that she knows their father's secret, or at least part of it. Right. She doesn't know that she has a half-sister, but she has found a marriage certificate with a name on it that is not her mother's name. <laughs> so she has discovered that he has a relationship with another woman in the Dominican Republic. She's able to put two and two together. She realizes that all of these years, he's been spending summers on, quote, business trips right. in the DR. And she's always asked if she can go. And he always says no. 
it's all starting to make more sense to her. So she actually hasn't spoken to her father in almost a year when we meet her. Mm-hmm. So she has, she's sort of at a, a different vantage point than Camino in this book. She already has a sense that there are some secrets going on before they lose their father. She also lives in New York, as we've talked about. Her thing is chess, and chess was something that her father pushed her into, sort of, and that they kind of fell into together. But she has quit chess, even though she was a very competitive player because she's so angry with him. But he doesn't know why she's so angry. She never told him. And she never told her mother either that she knows about this secret. So she she's holding power in a different way, I think, than Camino is in the early part of the book, especially. Something else that I think is worth noting, because I don't know that we'll get to it later in the episode, and I found a lot about it in the reviews, and there are a lot of people who really appreciate the way that this was depicted, is that there is a queer love story in Yaya's narrative. And so much of what I read in in the reviews and the blog posts about this was that people just loved the fact this was a very matter-of-fact part of Yaya's story. Mm-hmm. It's who she is. Yeah, It's who she is. There's no tormented coming out narrative. There's no like big conversation with any of the family members. There's a, I, there's a moment, I believe, where she talks about how her father never knew really what the nature of the relationship was. Right. And maybe her mom was a little bit resistant, but ultimately was sort of over it and fine. But it's just very much like Dre is the person that I love and she grows things and I'm, I need her and she's kind to me and supportive. I thought that that was really beautifully done. And in this series of New Reads November, when we're talking about things in YA Lit that show the progress that the category has made, I think it's really important to call that depiction out. Absolutely. Um, And I I love how you put it too, that this is Dre, I need her, she grows things. Because there's something about that that I loved as well, that her partner, who's like her age as well, so she's also young and still figuring herself out, but, but she... It's interesting. She has this connection to the half sister she's about to meet, Camino, who is a healer, and then Dre, who is this creator of life. Like she has practically a little greenhouse on their, you know, fire escape. And I think there's something really beautiful and symbolic about that for her. It's like she's she's definitely losing some major parts of her life right now, but she's in love with somebody that knows how to build build life back. And I thought that was really beautiful. Yeah. And and while we're on that topic, I just have to talk about the moment at the end of the book. I'm jumping way ahead now. Spoiler alert, Camino comes to New York and the moment when Dre shows her that she has planted this garden for her because she knows that Camino worked with her aunt who's a healer. I mean. So beautiful. Okay. That actually, I almost got a little teary just thinking about that. That's a really beautiful moment. I'm, get, I'm getting chills again. This is yeah. very this is a very emotional conversation. It's also a Monday afternoon and <laughs> so much going oh, on. Solve things. Yeah. So that I really loved that moment for Dre. I actually would have loved more Dre. I mean, I don't I think that we we needed to focus on the sisters, but I would read a Dre book personally. Oh my God. Yeah. Like and I totally understand. Like the size of it feels right and the balance feels right. But I loved Dre. I would have loved to have spent more time with her. Yeah. And I just, I loved the way that Yaya talked about her. There's a moment when she's talking about, um, there's a lot with Yaya about her identity and who she looks like and who she is like. Yeah. And there's a piece where she's talking about how she almost doesn't really care because she just wants to like thank her parents for building her in such a way that Dre like has a, has a way of holding her and touching her. Yeah. That's really beautiful. And yeah, like how they fit together with, yeah. Yeah. It's so sweet. 
Yeah, I'm just going to try to get you to feel a lot of things now. I know. I can feel. I can feel. <laughs> I'm going to get you retroactively emotional about all it right. all I'll again. Just, I'll just open open up to it. So I think, as I mentioned, there's a lot about identity in Yaya's story as well, because she has never been to the Dominican Republic, and her mother is from there, and she, I think, is really struggling with her identity. And again, I, I keep coming back to all the blog posts and reviews that I read of this book, largely because there are so many of them, and I will link to all of them in the show notes. That's one of the things that I really love about these New Reads November episodes is that there's just this like embarrassment of riches as far as think pieces and opinions about these books. So it's a lot of fun, but there's just so much that I found about what Clapa Newland says about identity. And a lot of it is because Elizabeth Acevedo is an author of color and she was born and raised in New York city and both of her parents are, were Dominican. And so she is really speaking to this experience of growing up in a place that's different from where you come from. Totally. And I think that that was a huge priority for her based on everything that I've read is sort of sharing what that experience is like. She says, it's hard to find stability when you're constantly rotating between the place you are and the place you're from. Mm, That's really beautiful. Yeah. And she says that's what she learned about identity from her parents and their immigrant experience. And I think that's sort of what she was trying to in part through her character, she also says the question of identity is a big one in the book. What does it mean to not be from here or from there? What does it mean to claim an ethnicity but never have visited the country that your parents are from? And so that is one of the questions Yahara is trying to answer. I want to go back to this place my father loved so much. He would go once a year. So the question of who you are, she believes she can answer by the geographical location. If I can just go there, I can figure out the answers to all the questions of my father and myself. Yeah, I think that that's so interesting because you feel pretty early on this in, intense need that Yaya has to go back to the DR and this resistance that her mom has that's so powerful because her mother, she associates it with some a lot of pain and she, does, she doesn't want to ever go back. So I, I was thinking about this because I was looking at some of the uh, sample questions you sent me and, and I was thinking about how when I was 14, 15, which I wish I had had this book when I was 14, 15, but I didn't, that I would have been so excited for her. Like, yes, do it. You're going to go, go. Um, and like rooting for her on her trip, reading it now as an adult, when to see her go and spoiler alert, she does go alone. <laughs> she goes to the TR. I was like, oh my God, what are you doing? I was right. freaking out. I was totally imagining I was her mom. And right. I'm terrified for her. Um, <laughs> so it's so interesting the, the generational difference there. Yes. But um, even though secretly I kind of knew, like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be good. It's going to be good, right? It's going to be good that she goes. But I was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I love what you said about how you wished that you had this book when you were growing up. Could you share a little bit more about that? Oh, sure. I mean, you know, when I was growing up in the 90s and I was in high school, I was, I was an avid reader. I was an avid reader probably since the time I was, I could read when I was pretty small. But um, when I was in like middle and high school, you know, I was always looking for things to read that weren't, this is your assigned reading for English. And I mean, that was fine. I enjoyed a lot of those books too. But, um, you know, and and I I loved some of the classics by like, uh, like Judy Bloom and some other people. And I was like, sure, I would devour that. I I read Sweet Valley High, whatever. (laughs) I, I did Whole other conversation. Yeah. Whole Elizabeth. Other. Yes. <laughs> I knew way too much about them. 
but I definitely felt like, I don't even think I articulated it at the time so much as feeling like, oh, I'm not going to see anybody like me in any of these books. And like, and this is crazy. I remember reading the Babysitter's Club and now I actually, I can't remember their names, but I remember that one member of the Babysitter's Club was biracial. She was half Japanese and half white. And I was like, whoa, somebody that's not totally white. And that was like really exciting to me. And looking back, like the dearth of diversity was just kind of mind blowing. And and when I would read things with people my age that had complexity, they were usually these classics like A Separate Piece by John Knowles, which is a beautiful book, or like Catcher and the Rye. And, and, you know, I enjoyed those books, but I also was very aware that I wasn't a white boy at boarding school. You know? Right. So like, you know, what, what I guess I'm saying is that there's something really exciting. I would have been so excited to see two brown girls as protagonists in a book when I was 15. And I, I didn't see that then. Yeah, I, I think that I, I'm so appreciative of you sharing that experience when I was reading about what inspired Elizabeth Acevedo, who, again, for context, is an Afro-Latinx author, mm-hmm. um, she talks about how when she was teaching, I believe she was teaching middle school in Prince George County, Maryland, and most of her students were students of color. And she talks about how um, she was the first teacher that they had ever had who looked like them and who wasn't white. Mm-hmm. And it meant so much to her to be able to reflect that to them. But then she would go home and she would be like, they, they can't put that in their pocket and take that home. Like, how do I give them that experience to bring home with them? And so that they can see it like more tangibly. And so that was one of the things that really inspired her to start writing for children. So I would imagine that she had a similar experience to you growing up and just wishing that there there were more people in the book she was reading that were like her, or at least reflected a different level of diversity in their experiences. Right, like something else in the world, <laughs> just someone else. <laughs> something else. So I do yeah. think like this is, this book does do a great job of of summing up some of the progress that I think has been made and is continuing to be made in terms of own voices literature and in terms of diversity and kids lit. We have so much further to go. But I do feel like this book is a lovely example of representation and of real stories about people with different ethnicities and backgrounds. Right. And a story that's not only about that. Like, I am from right. the DR. I eat. No, no. Right. Um, not that it's their experience. Is. It's like what they do in their lives right. and what, they, what they're going through. Right. Exactly. It's your experience as being somebody of that descent, but also being a teenager and going through other things and dealing with severe familial issues. I mean, it's like all of the human things that make all of us human. Plus you have, you know, your identity. I mean, I know it sounds so simplistic, but it's so interesting to see, like, I'm so excited when I see more and more stories that are just stories about people of color going through their lives, having struggles. And sure, I'm a, it's cool if your ethnicity figures into that because let's be real, it does. It's always going to. It's not going to go right. away. But that it's not this thing of like now, now I'm proud to be a brown black girl. Like no, this we 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 kind of have gone past that, and I'm really excited to see that we're going past it in such a complex way. I, I just love what Elizabeth Acevedo has done here, and she is such an outspoken 
proponent of continuing these own voices, stories, and not only in terms of authors, but she talks a lot about making sure that there are also graphic designers designing the covers um, who aren't necessarily white men and publicists, like people at every level. So I found a lot of her um, thoughts on that. Again, I will link all of those pieces in the show notes for this episode. But back to the action of the book itself, because I could talk about all of this stuff and that's a whole other episode. And I'm so glad we're, we're opening the space to talk about it because that's what New Reads November is for. But getting back to the action of the story, um, now both girls have been made aware of the fact that their father has died, although they, they don't necessarily accept it right away, which I think is probably a very common experience for people who lose loved ones in this sort of a way because you, you don't necessarily have proof right. and you don't want proof. So it's like until you have the proof, it's better to just pretend that it's not real. But ultimately, they both do find out that their father is gone. And because of the very complicated circumstances of their father's marriages and family arrangements, they discover that his remains have to be flown back to the Dominican Republic, mm-hmm. which is obviously a very complicated situation for his wife in New York and for his daughter in New York. And it's, it's, I'm sure it just brings up all these issues over years and years because she knew about his other relationship because they, she had known his other wife. Right. They were friends. Now, right. They were friends. They grew up together. And it's important to know that Camino's mom has passed away. So she's no longer sort of in life part of the equation, but there are deep emotional wounds there, of course. And it's all very complicated. So Yaya's mom decides she's not going to go to the Dominican Republic. She's going to like send the remains and by. But Yaya feels very strongly that he died alone and she does not want him to be laid to rest alone. And she also wants to go to the DR. Very badly. Yeah. Very badly. And then they find out about each other. And it's like a it's a whole other thing. And then social media comes into it. And I have to say, I sometimes have a very complicated relationship with social media cropping up in books because (laughs) sometimes it feels to me like it locks it in time in a way that I don't always appreciate because I think about some of my favorite books from like decades and decades ago and there's very little mention of technology it it just it has a more timeless quality to me but then I remember that like that's largely because there weren't as many pieces of technology to include in those older books right but social media had to play a very key role in this book because that was how Yaya and Camino could connect actually right yeah and the scene where they video chat for the first time and there's resistance on I forget which one at a certain point I was just like I couldn't stop turning the pages and so I yeah, in I know. A track of like who was who <laughs> but one of the one who had reached out like the other sister it, she took a while to get back to her and so then there's the like anxiety of waiting to hear back and then she wasn't even sure if she actually wanted to say hello what did you think about the way that the book was segmented into this first section where they're totally living their separate lives and then a second section where they come together at first over video chat and then as we've already spoiled, Yaya goes to the Dominican <laughs> Republic and they're together. How did you feel about that? I, I'll say I found a variety of opinions about it online. Oh, that's interesting. I, I'm interesting to hear that. It felt inevitable to me. So I was very excited when it happened. I mean, I, I knew I was like, they have to meet at some point. I, di- I didn't know how. And I didn't know. I was hoping it wouldn't be like the very last moment. And then we just get like this much. Right. I, I'm doing a gesture that no one can see. It's, it's tiny. Tiny. <laughs> it's tiny so I was actually really happy that we did get a significant chunk with them together. But 
I know what you're saying, and I want to kind of flip it back, but about social media and technology, and I think it's actually changed literature a lot. And we, unfortunately, we can't ignore it <laughs> because if we're writing contemporary, like it, people will say, well, why don't they have the things? But I actually, I too feel the same way. I sort of miss literature without it because I think that uh, the advent of a cell phone has made it way too easy to get in touch with people. Um, I think that there is a romance to people having to struggle and work a little bit harder to find each other. So that's that's like my little like spiel on why I love to read before technology got to the place it is. I love that spiel. Love it. I, I agree I, with I think it. about it a lot. But I feel like it was used so appropriately in this book and probably, honestly, as far as video chat goes, that's like what it really should be about. Like, I don't think, I don't know if there's really another reason we need it other than, you know, now people are doing meetings on Zoom, but still like, I feel like as far as um, emotionally, that's what it should be for is to actually meet people and to find people that are lost, have been lost to you or that you're just now discovering. So I actually found it quite moving and, and effective in the book. Yeah. And, and to be fair, early on in the book, Camino talks about how in the, in the many months of the year when her father, her poppy wasn't around, she video chatted with him throughout those months. Right, right, right. So it, I, I guess you could make the point that like, it's not as though all of a sudden it's like, oh, we can video chat. And it, it didn't feel like this convenient device. It was something that no. was really very important to the people who, who live in the Dominican Republic and who are often separated from their families. Yeah, that's what I think is really great and why I think it felt so effectual is that it wasn't convenient, it was an essential. Mm -hmm. Like it didn't feel like, it didn't necessarily make life easier, but it made life bearable, hmm. I feel like. So I think that that actually sets it apart for me. Yeah, I love the way you put that. That's a very good point. Yeah, I didn't mind it. I think I would say this is the first book that I read where it, it didn't really trip me up. Like it felt very natural mm -hmm. and... It also just created these really sweet moments, not only when the sisters meet for the first time, but then when they're in the Dominican Republic and bringing Dre back into the conversation. It was that. so cute. And Yaya was like, there's somebody I want you to meet. And she introduces her to her girlfriend via video chat. And Camino was like, oh, okay. Because she has never, I don't think, really been around a queer person yeah, before. Yeah, she knows. But I, and I love that. I love that she was like, I now love the sister. Yes. So now I, I thought that was so beautiful. It was really beautiful. I, I will say, and I don't think I agree with this, but I found one review on a site called Smart Bitches Trashy Books, which I do love. And I, I turn to a lot in New Reads November. And one of the things that this particular reviewer was talking about was the fact that the girls are only together for probably the last, I don't even know if it's the second half. It's maybe the final third or so. Yeah, third. yeah I think. And this reviewer said, one of the things I struggled with the most with this story is that for more than half of it, the girls are apart and unaware of the other's existence. We as the reader get to see how this man, meaning their father, his life with his two girls forms a coherent whole from the pieces the girls were given, but we never really get to see those girls develop the same understanding. We only get to see the beginning of their relationship. And while the climax is rightly centered at the most clearly rendered danger faced by one of the girls, I wish more of the story had been given to the girls becoming sisters and learning more about each other. I wish I could have been able to watch the girls give each other the gift of filling the gaps that their father had left behind. The reason why I struggled with it is because as a reader, you feel a bit complicit in the lies that the dad told. It's like you and he are the only two people that know everything. I don't think my dislike of that choice in the story is about the writing or the story structure, but me not wanting the patriarchy to win. <laughs> That's quite a strong opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately the patriarchy doesn't win. Mm -hmm. um, 
because he died. Sorry. That's like really dark. Like, very literal way to, uh, I mean, he's gone, but also because by the end, um, all the women have united together. And I think what this reviewer is talking about is really an interesting story, but I think it's a different book. Um, I think it would be possibly book two, because I feel like what we get is the foundation of this relationship. And what's really beautiful is that we know they're going to get to know each other and we know that they're going to sort of start this new family, um, family connection, but that's not the book we're reading. We're reading the book of like how this all came to be. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I would very gladly read book two of this. I would as well. <laughs> I want more Yaya. I want more Camino. I definitely want more Dre as okay. I expressed. I would like this second book to be narrated by Dre and only Dre. <laughs> wow. I love it. I want her to observe the sisters coming together. No, I, I think it's an interesting perspective. And I think this is a very complicated way or very complex way to basically just say, like, I wanted more. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think I appreciate that the, the reviewer trying to put maybe a finer point on her experience of reading the book and just yeah. wanting more of that final third when they're together. But I think the bottom line is that that's just not what happened. And I'm learning, you know, different ways of talking about literature in my MFA program, of course. And one of my teachers sometimes says things like, the thing that I want this book to do is not what the book is doing. Or that's a really great way to put it. Or the book does not want to do what I want it to do. Yes. I think that that's so smart because often we will get connected and attached to something and realize, oh, my narrative brain is saying, I want that, I want that, I want that. But the writer's like, no, 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 you don't get that. You get this. And sometimes it's hard to reconcile it. Yeah. It's hard to face because you're like, this isn't what I, I want more of these girls hanging out, but that's not what, it's not what's happening. So it was an interesting perspective, but it made me think about that, that thing that my teacher has started saying and now it's stuck in my brain. I like it a lot. So there is this element, especially in that final third, after the girls come together and, and they're going through all the motions of their father's funeral and they're getting to know each other's families and there's some hijinks in terms of like them escaping and all these this kind of crazy stuff happening that I don't think we need to spoil because we've already spoiled enough and that part is really actually fun to read. There's this whole element of, as you've alluded to, these women coming together and it's this like very feminist final third of the book, which I, I mean, I loved basically everything about this book, but I loved that especially. And I found one quote from the author who said of the book, it started being about the crash and it really became about how two girls navigate a patriarchal world that doesn't serve them. The book became almost like an ode to the ways that women step out from the ghosts of the men that haunt them. That was not what I had anticipated writing, but it evolved. Mm. How would you respond to that? That's great. It's interesting that that is something that evolved because it feels really intentional to me. Yeah. And, and I, I don't want to spoil too much either, but, but it's interesting in when they're both in the DR, seeing this other character of El Cerro, which I won't say too much about, but um, he's kind of this dark specter for a variety of reasons um, that's sort of haunting Camino. So it is interesting that we're getting, it's, it's in snippets, but we're getting like certain colors of this world where girls, young, vulnerable girls are not exactly welcome or not are not necessarily going to be comfortable at all times and don't necessarily have the protections that they should. So so it actually felt kind of feminist to me from the beginning in a way, and then it just kind of got more so. So yeah, it felt it felt like very intentional to me. I'm trying to think if there's anything I, I I love that. I love that that's how she saw it. Um yeah, I agree. 
Yeah, I think she she talks about the patriarchy at a couple of levels here because there's, of course, this overarching presence of their father who, totally. though she doesn't necessarily put like super a super fine point on it, like he's sort of been the puppet master of the way all of these women have lived their lives, not only yeah. the daughters, but also his wife in New York who knows that he has this other relationship that he has to go tend to every summer in the Dominican right. Republic. And Camilla's auntie. I mean, she's raising right. this girl because the daughter, I mean, the father's like, she has to stay there. I mean, yeah, it's he, a lot of people's lives. He's affected by his choices. And her aunt Tia relies on his money, not only for Camino, but for herself. Like he really, right. everybody's kind of at his beck and call and then he's gone. But then there's still these patriarchal forces. We hear a bit about a really scary run in that Yaya had in the subway in New York that was very difficult to read. And then you referenced the character El Cerro, who is this very threatening presence in Camino's life from the beginning and who her father had actually been paying to stay away from her. And then, of course, once her father is gone, he doesn't have any incentive to stay away from her, which is really what leads to the climax, a very upsetting climax in the book that does ultimately allow the girls to overcome and, and be victorious and, and pull together all their feminist strengths. But it is interesting how she worked this patriarchal energy, this like undercurrent in yeah. these multiple levels of the book. Absolutely. And it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like that's what's happening. Because what, it's very clear when we're reading it that we're in the perspectives of these two girls going through a really, really hard time in their lives, um, which I love. I love that all of those layers that are, you know, about personal slash political, they're just there. It's just part of it. And we don't have to step out and say, oh, I'm really glad she's making this great comment about the patriarchy. It's just there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I was like, maybe I'm, maybe I was not paying attention and I was too busy feeling my feelings, but I did not get all of that in my first reading. And then when I was doing this research, I, I started to think about what all of this really meant. Yeah, and I think that, that that feels absolutely right to me. I think it's supposed to come later because really you're just supposed to be in your feelings with the story. And then later when you think about it and you think about it, you're like, oh, and this happened and this was also going on. And that to me feels like a success of a book. Yeah, I was thinking about it for a while after I finished it, which is not an experience I often have, especially because I read so much, not only for the podcast, but now for grad school. And then occasionally, like when I can just for fun, I don't usually find that I have like time to breathe and process between books. Right. But I had to with this book because I really couldn't stop thinking about it. Yeah, no, this is this was a really um, a powerful one that stayed with me still. Yeah. I mean, it was fun because I, I read it, I guess, like a month or so ago now. So a few days ago, I was like, let me remind myself. <laughs> and as soon as, and I was kind of looking at some of your questions and it was just bringing back a lot of the memories I had reading it. And it's like, yeah, it's nice to kind of, it's nice to be in that world a little bit again. Like I felt like I got to return to it, which was kind of lovely. So the key question for New Reads November this month, as we wrap up this episode, is really about what this book, in this case, Clap When You Land, tells us about the progress or the evolution of kids' literature. And and you can compare it to maybe the books that you read when you were growing up. We've talked about this a bit, but I'd love if we could dig a little deeper or talk more specifically about it. Like, what do you think Clap When You Land shows us about where we are with books for teens right now and maybe even where we still have to go? That's a great question. I feel like it's absolutely showing us that books have become a lot more honest about the experience teens teens are living through. There's no sense in reading this book, like it's beautiful and it's beautifully written, but there's no sense that Acevedo is holding back or saying, you know, 
I'm not going to tell you that about their life because it's too much. No, like the things that are really hard and harrowing, she dives right into and you have to accept it if you're going to read the book, which I love because I don't think that definitely when I was a kid, I wasn't experiencing that with books written for my age group. So I think that... <laughs> I think the book is absolutely saying that life is just as hard as maybe you fear it is for teens in 2020. Um, just as hard, sometimes harder because of the access that they have. They have a lot, the world is much smaller. So they're not as sheltered as some of us were, which makes them, you know, prepares them for adulthood in a great way, but often ends their innocence a little bit sooner. But your second question is interesting as far as how far we have to go. That's challenging. Well, I think in this case, I think that she's doing a lot of work here. Yeah, like, I don't know. I think she's, I think she's kind of on message. <laughs> like, I feel like this is, this is kind of being honest about the contemporary state of young people, um, young women in this country. And obviously with immigrant families. I mean, I think she's saying so many things that are needed and necessary. Yeah, I don't know that this book is necessarily something where I would be like, this is, this is where you could make it a little bit, a little, we can, you could help our movement, our cause. No, she's, she's, she's doing the work. She's good. I don't think we need any more from her. I'll <laughs> tell her that when I become her friend. When you're, when you're having coffee, just make sure she knows. Right. Exactly. So other than clap when you land, Kara, what else have you been reading lately that you might recommend to our listeners? Let's see. It's, it's an interesting time because last week, my new book came out. So I've been a little bit preoccupied with that. <laughs> I mean, as you should be, congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, and also I'm writing on a TV staff right now. So there's also that. So unfortunately, I haven't been able to read as much as I would like lately, which is kind of a bummer, but I want to I wanna kind of dive back in. You know, I've been reading because this film came out and I started watching it and I was confused. So I was like, I have to read the book. What is the book? I'm thinking of Ending Things, the Anne Reed book. Okay. I think I recommend it. I'm still trying to decide. <laughs> it's very, very strange and scary in a way that I don't even quite understand. But I think that there's something really interesting about what it's saying about contemporary like 20 somethings, because this is this is slightly older than like YA, but but yeah, like a young person who's like, I'm thinking of breaking up with my boyfriend. And then it goes much deeper into like existentialism and just pure safety in life. Um, so interesting. Pretty interesting. Um, recently, I read a beautiful book called The Yellow House by Sarah M. Broom, which I don't I don't know if you read or not, but it's a memoir. Um, but this woman from New Orleans wrote, she had this huge family, there were like 12 kids in all, including I think a few steps. And it's sort of this story of her complicated family moving through life in this strange house that her mom bought at age 19. That is like, becoming more and more dilapidated as time goes on and then Katrina hits and yeah it's it's very it's kind of this really epic but beautiful family story well I love an epic family story I haven't read that but I have heard of it so maybe I need to move it up a little higher <laughs> on my list well I will include links to both of your recommendations in the show notes for this episode as well as a link to clap when you land and of course a link to as you just mentioned your new book which is now out daughters of tribulation I'm so excited for you congrats Thank you so much. <laughs> I hope you're able to enjoy the experience, even though we are in a pandemic and I'm sure it's not exactly what you would have expected, but it is, here we are, right? Here we are. Here we are. Getting the joy where we can. 
Yes. Well, <laughs> listeners, go check it out. Get yourself a copy. I will also include links to your website and all of your social media so that listeners can keep up with what you're doing and your work. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat about this book with me. I really appreciate it. Oh, this was so much fun. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye-bye. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.